So the first time that I watched that, um, there was one part of it that really jumped out at me, and it was the part of the video where Lauren said, they told me it was inoperable, and really the only thing that they can do is they can help me through the death process. And uh, that kind of just made me like, oh, it just hurt for her so badly. Um, you know, cancer in this specific circumstance has made death so apparent and so real and so tangible in Lauren's life that she realized that she needed to do everything to achieve a goal that she had for her life. Uh, and, and the reality here, though, in that story, as inspiring as the story is with Lauren, is that we are all at death's door. We're all dying. Um, and while we don't have something necessarily in our life that's making that real for us or, or putting it in our face, um, there are things that we all have in our heart that we want to achieve, that we want to accomplish before we die. And so really, the heart of this message is, what do you want to live for? What do you want to be remembered for? What kind of legacy do you want to leave behind when it's your time to go? Uh, I feel like there's probably a lot of days where Lauren has wanted to give up on this journey to play college basketball, or just in general, you know, in life itself. Um, I think that there was probably times where she was on the floor realizing that she was playing at about half the capacity that she knew that she used to be able to play at, and she probably felt embarrassed. I think so many times in our Christian walk, when we leave this place, uh, and we're interacting with people on a, a day-to-day basis, we worry about embarrassment, and we worry about it when things get hard, about really being all in and just selling out for God and for the gospel and for the kingdom. Um, But I think we need to learn how to have attitudes like Lauren Hill, who literally put everything she had into her dream, into her goal. Uh, When I was preparing for this message, the one thing that uh, kind of was interesting to me is I feel like a lot of times the way that we live is very hokey pokey. You know, the song, The Hokey Pokey, it starts out, you put your left hand in, you put your left hand out. And it goes, you know, right hand, left leg, right leg. I feel like a lot of times when we're living and, and trying to be Christians, we put our left hand in. We, we give offering on Sunday morning, and we think that's enough. Or we put our right hand in, and we come to church for 45 minutes on a Sunday night, and we think that that's enough. And so we're getting ready to enter into a sermon series called All In. And uh, we're going to be talking about people in the Bible who totally sold out for God and for this Jesus thing. And so I think the idea that we need to get a hold of, um, this concept of being all in, is that like the hokey pokey, we're not putting our right hand or our left hand, but we're putting our whole self in to this thing. So as we talk about um, what it means to be all in, before we really dig deeper, would you just pray with me? Dear God, tonight as we... um, as we're talking about just selling out for you, um, first off, Lord, I just want to pray for Lauren Hill. Um, her story is so inspiring and encouraging. And God, she, she's letting a, a bad circumstance and a bad um, situation affect people positively and encourage people and inspire people. Um, and God, I just pray that you would continue to give her strength during this time and give her family a peace that, um, that she is just truly touching hearts. And God, tonight as we go through this message um, and we go through your word, I just pray that it convicts our hearts, um, and I pray that we can be a body of believers who truly can have an impact and be all in and sell out for something worth selling out for, which is you. We ask all these things in your precious son's name. Amen. So before we get really into the series, I think we should go to scripture uh, to kind of get a baseline. Um, And that baseline comes from Romans chapter 12, if you have your Bible. We're going to start in verse 1, and it says this. 
It says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I think we need to look at the very beginning of verse 1. Go back to verse 1. It says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. I think a lot of times we look at circumstance. Um, We allow our present situation to dictate what we do and if we worship and uh, if we experience God or if we even give him a chance. And I, I think, you know, about that story with Lauren Hill, if she allowed her circumstances to define her, can you imagine what kind of life she would be living right now? I mean, she would probably be sitting in a hospital room feeling sorry for herself. But she looked to something bigger, something much bigger than herself. And I think that this verse is setting that, that preface that before anything else, we should look to God's mercy. Because I think each and every one of us can think of a time in our lives where, where God has just renewed us, where God has just changed our heart or changed our life or pulled us out of a hard situation or, or comforted us. I mean, there's so many times personally that I can think of. And I think when we look to that initially, when we look to God's mercy in our life, it helps put everything else in perspective. Reading on in that, it says, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, this seems kind of like an oxymoron, you know, living and sacrifice. And this kind of um, speaks to the backdrop of the Old Testament where um, people would sacrifice their animals um, to God as a, a representation of their faith and their commitment to Him. And so what Paul is saying when he's writing this is that we ourselves as people in the fullness of our lives are to offer ourselves up as sacrifice to something bigger than us. And I feel like a lot of times the thing that we're giving up is maybe just money that we stuff in an envelope. That, yes, it's, while it's money, it doesn't really cost us anything. But God doesn't call for dead sacrifices. He calls for living sacrifices that are holy and pleasing to God. And when I think of this idea of what a living sacrifice is, uh, I'm reminded of this story that I, I read a few weeks ago. And it was about this guy, and it was this little kid, and his name was Little Bobby. And Little Bobby was a kid of one of the people who was on the missions council for this church. And so they were sitting in a missions council meeting, and they were passing the offering plate around. And some of them were given their money. And it comes to Little Bobby, and he says, Sir, can you put the offering plate on the ground? And he goes, Yeah, sure. Well, Bobby steps into the offering plate, and he says, this is all I have to give. Yeah. Well, little Bobby became um, what is, who's now known as Robert Moffat. And I don't know if you guys know who that is, but Robert Moffat went on to change thousands and thousands of lives in Africa and heal people who were extremely wounded. Um, all because initially when he was a child, he realized what it meant to be all in. It was more than just giving some money. It was literally entirety of self, giving everything and selling out for God. Also, what I I think is interesting is when we see this concept of living sacrifice, living implies life. And I feel like so many times we think that worship is just when we come into church for 60 minutes, for 45 minutes. But if we're only living and breathing for 60 minutes, are we really living our lives I, I heard this one time, um, we were talking, just church people, you know, we love to talk about different things that are really not that important, um, and somebody said, I want to come to your church, what is your worship style? 
And uh, I started talking to him about, you know, well, we have different services with different worship styles and yada, yada, yada. And, and I had a buddy standing next to me, and he said, well, let me ask you this question. What's your church's worship style and your personal worship style? And he started saying things like, well, we have contemporary music. And he said, no, that's not what I mean. He said, I want to see your worship style, so let me come to your job. Let me, let me come to your house. Let me see how you treat your neighbors. Let me see your bank account, how you save and spend your money. He said, because worship is an everyday to day thing. And uh, I thought that was really, really cool. And this guy kind of got ticked off, this other guy. He's like, okay, whatever. He's like, you know what? I don't even need church. I don't need to come to your church. He said, I believe that I can worship God anywhere. And so my friend came back again and he said, well, do you? Well, do you? See, guys, we have the opportunity to worship every single day, no matter where we are. And when God is in our heart, and it's inevitable that there is some kind of transforming power. We read about that in the second verse. It says this, if you throw back the scripture. It says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, if we're a Christian, we've, we've been transformed. And I feel like so many times in this life, the world tries to transform us. Um, and they do that with this power of the word without. Um, they say you're without a relationship. You're without a person to go to. And so you compromise and you, you give your time and your, your effort and everything into an unhealthy relationship. Or the world tells you that you're without money. And so you strive and you put all your time and all your heart and all your effort into a job. And it tells you all these things that you don't have. All these things that are, are so temporary that will burn at the end of the world, but you feel like this desire that you need to have it because that's what the world is telling you. They play on this word without. Um, and I think a concept for us is to realize that Scripture tells us while the world is telling us what we don't have, while the world is playing on the word without, God is transforming us within. And when God does that, it's, it's a transforming of mind, of spirit, and of heart. It literally makes us a new creation and so we can't walk around as these people who are half in, who are right hand in, because that's not what God says. It doesn't say he partially transforms you. It doesn't say he kind of makes you look different on Sunday. But it says that we're transformed, that we are a new creation. And so I think part of understanding what it means to be all in is understanding that we are a new person, that the old us, the ugly us, uh, the person that we're ashamed of, that's not us anymore. Um, the person who, who drank and who got high on the weekends, that's not me anymore. And it's not something to be ashamed of that God has changed us, that God has transformed us, but it's something to proclaim. It's something to, to show in our lives because it's real and genuine. And that's what touches people. I think another thing that we have to understand, and this is kind of like a main point um, just to look at, is a lot of times I feel like we do this where we say, God is on this stair and family is on this stair and our friends are on the stair, and our jobs are on the stair, and then everything else is down here. And you see, the problem with that is we're constantly jumping from stair to stair as to what our main priority is. You know, some days family is over God, which is okay. Some days friends are over God. Some days other stuff that really isn't important is over God and family and friends. And I think the concept of understanding how to be all in is realizing that God is not a level that through family, friends, job, everything else, God is like that line that runs right through them all. God is in all things. So part of understanding how to be all in is that he is in all. Uh, I asked Chris to say some stuff tonight. Um, he has a lot of examples that he's seen in his own life of people who have totally sold out 
and totally gone in for this Jesus thing uh, and made their lives count for something. And so he's going to tell you about that. Yeah, thanks, Blake. First of all, precursor, not a preacher, so I'm probably going to not be that good. But anyway, the stories are really good. Um, so we do a Wednesday night Bible study um, downstairs, um, and we just finished up a study with Andy Stanley called Your Move. And uh, in this very last video, um, this was kind of so crazy. He said, um, you know, my church really knows how to throw a good funeral. And we thought that was kind of odd. Um, and he goes on to talk about um, officiating funerals. And he said, but sometimes people don't help us out. You know, the person that, that passed away doesn't help us out. And he, he tells about two stories. He tells about a guy who made his entire life about building his empire, about building his, his world. He was an architect. He, you know, was kind of wheeling and dealing. He made these huge skyscrapers. He signed these million-dollar contracts. They said, I'm officiating the wedding, and I struggled to find good things to say about this guy, but he said also his family, his flesh and blood couldn't, you know, didn't have much to say about this guy. Um, and, you know, some of you guys were in there, and I just remember thinking, gosh, how tragic is that, that you could get to the end of your life. And it was kind of meaningless. You know, you built some skyscrapers, but nothing really was different, you know. And that's a, what we would call a successful life by the world standards, I guess. Um, and then he goes on to tell about a guy who made his, um, his life about God, but... I want to use somebody, replace that guy with somebody in my life. I want to tell you guys the story about Matt D. <clears throat> you know, when I started ministry, Matt D was um, the executive pastor and the worship leader for the church I was at. And I just remember watching Matt D thinking, that's how I want to do this thing. That's how I want to do this. You see, Matt D had tons of skills that made him very attractive, that made him very likable, that made him very effective. But instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to take my talent, I'm going to take my charm, I'm going to take my charisma, and I'm going to build you know, the best Matt D in the world, he said, I'm going to take my charisma and my charm and my skills. I'm going to build the kingdom of God. And I remember um, you know, going out to watch Matt D play music, play gigs at bars and restaurants and stuff, and see him starting conversations with total strangers. And you know, he's a people person, so that was you know, pretty normal. But then the cool thing is that Sunday morning I would be up on stage sometimes and I would see those people walk through those doors. The people that he had met on Friday night would walk through the church doors. Um, Matt D. was a guy that loved people and loved pointing people to God. And uh, a couple years ago we got a phone call and uh, Matt D. had passed away at a very early age. He had a wife and three kids and he was uh, 36, 37. You know, of course we were floored. We were just you know, heartbroken. We go to this funeral, and it was in Louisville at Southeast Christian Church, um, which is a really big, uh, really big place. Um, and we weren't really expecting to see what we saw, but we saw over 5,000 people walk in for this man's funeral on a Monday afternoon. That's a life changer. There was over 5,000 people that he had made that much of a difference in their life, that they were there to celebrate his life. And Unlike the skyscraper dude, where you couldn't say anything good about this guy, people couldn't say enough good about this guy. And everybody that stood up said, Matt D. led me to Jesus. It changed my life. And so, you know, today, 
Um, I was texting a friend, and, and it really applies to this, so I'm just going to share this story. Um, of course, I got to watch Matt D. It's that whole idea of discipleship, follow me as I follow Christ. So, you know, I took my, my music ability, I took my people stuff, and I went, um, this was in Lexington, and, and I went into um, the bar scene and started kind of hanging out and meeting people. And um, me and a couple friends, we did this very intentionally for two or three years. Um, we would come in, we would sing karaoke, we'd play some gigs, um, but mostly just hang out and get to know people. And people were really shocked to find out that we were doing it in the name of Jesus, which was um, pretty cool. So, you know, fast forward to today. Um, I knew Mary Beth in Lexington. She was one of the bartenders. Um, and we invited her to church, invited her to church. Finally, she comes to church. She hears the gospel. God changes her life. She gets married. She leaves that life. I move up here, lose touch with Mary Beth. Then find out that she moved up to Cincinnati. Okay, that's pretty cool, right? Um, so I texted her today and said, hey, we're, uh, we're doing Thrive tonight. Love to have you come out. We can catch up. And she said, well, that's, that's going to be a long drive, man. I live in Oklahoma. I was like, okay, all right, well, tell me about Oklahoma. And she said, we just felt like God was calling us to come out here and do this thing. That's not an important detail. Um, the important thing is she said, we're trying to find a church. We're trying to find a place to get plugged in. Um, and, you know, we're just seeking God for what his plan is. And I said, Mary Beth, I'm so glad to see that you're seeking God. Now, rewind a couple years ago. She was the bartender that was drunk on her shift. She was the bartender that, like, you know, just had, she was just living for the wrong things, you know. And it was, it was just such a cool thing to, to know that God changed her life. And then, uh, you know, I said, hey, I'm glad to see you're living for God. And she said, and this isn't to toot anybody's horn, but she said, it's all because of you guys. I credit that to you guys. And she said in a text, all because you sang karaoke at my bar. And that's not the, the whole of it, but that was the thing that brought us in there. That was the thing that made the common ground. And so I want to ask us tonight, as we look at lives like Matt D., as we look at lives like Mary Beth, as, as we look at our own lives, what's your all because you sang karaoke at my bar story going to be? What's that for you? And I can't tell you that. Blake can't tell you that. Maybe some folks that, you know, are in your life can kind of help you get there. But what's that going to be for you? What's going to be your, your thing, you know? Um, this thing that you use to give glory and honor to God. This thing that causes you to connect people to God. Um, so we're going to sing a song now called Living for Your Glory. Um, one of the lines says, in view of God's mercy, I offer my all. It's straight out of, uh, out of this Romans passage. And um, you guys feel free to sing, but also feel free to not. And just to think about maybe what is that thing for you. Um, the cool thing about the body of Christ is that we, you know, we look out here and we see all different ages, all different come-froms, all different talent levels, all different you know, everything. And that's the beautiful thing about the body of Christ is that because this body is so diverse, we have the potential to sing karaoke in everybody's world. So. Good is it to gain the whole world lose your soul. Good is it to 
make a sweet sound, but remain proud in view, in view of God's mercy. I offer, I offer my all. So take my life, take my life, let it be everything, Lord. Here I am. Guys, we're about to move into a, um, a time of invitation. And, uh, you know, like that song was singing, you know, like that song was saying, that song's a proclamation. Take my life and let it be everything, all of me, for your glory. Um, 
something that we talked about in transitions was how as hard as this is to accept, our glory is too small of a thing to live for. And the fact of the matter is, in the grand scheme of life, our glory is not significant at all. But we're living for something so much bigger and so much greater. So tonight, as you um, are in this time of invitation, I just ask that you respond. Uh, maybe that's coming down here to the altar and saying, God, you know what? I have live my life hokey pokey style where I've put my left hand in or my right hand in but I've never put my whole self in and tonight I'm just making a commitment to sell out for you because you're worth living for um, if that's you you know just be bold enough to walk down here and, and get on your knees and humble yourself and say God I need you uh, maybe a way you want to respond is by giving back to what God's already given to you or maybe you want to take part in communion uh, his body and his bread uh, his body, the bread, and his blood um, broken for you and poured out for you to cover that past, to cover the sins, to give us that mercy that it's talking about in that song. You know, we talk about this idea of living sacrifice, and what a better image of that than Jesus himself. Um, he was willing to literally walk this earth and die on a cross for you and for me, and not even the good version of you and me, but the the ugly broken, messy version of us. That's how much we, we are loved by a Father who is perfect and good. And so tonight, I just I encourage you to respond in whatever way God's pulling at your heart, um, but just don't wait. Make sure you respond.